Welcome to the podcast, A Colored Girl Speaks, meditations on race and other magical things, a collection of personal essays on race, culture, and politics through the prism of identity, memory, and history, an intimate and often painful commentary on race in America and the way forward. Essays are by Andrea Hunter and are narrated by Tierra Moore. So, at last, this colored girl speaks. Episode 2, Going Home to Where I've Been. Years after my Aunt Fanny's death, I found a photograph among her belongings that captivated me. It was buried within boxes that had long piled up and enclosed with all kinds of reminiscence of other people's lives given to her in pride, in sadness, and because she was a keeper of things. She saved them all, and even after her, they remained. Among these artifacts of memory was a girl, no more than 14, with long black silky hair, her face beautiful and serene, her body laying in state and shrouded in white satin pillows, melding softly around her. There were also two World War II soldiers, standing cockily in uniforms with caps askew. Endless school day pictures, women in their best Sunday fashions of the day, and the 1956 graduating class of Mays High School, first the women, then the men, all of them beautiful, hopeful, confident, proud. Between all of this was a sliver of a black and white Polaroid, of the kind produced by the old brownie camera. It was date stamped May 1962. A still life with past both fixed and elusive. This was the photo that caught my eye and my mind. There were seven boys sitting in the foreground, one partly off camera, their skin dark and aglow in the Florida sun. They were five, maybe six years old, and they sat on the edge of an asphalt basketball court with feet crossed and legs outstretched. Though not shown, what lies in front of them is a row of one-room schoolhouses that smelled of chalk, children's sweat, and old wood. I know because I would first be schooled there, just as my mother had, and it is there I would reign as May Day Queen. It was hot that day in May of the photo, four years before my reign. It was noon. The shadow cast by the hoop was short. The boys squinted in ways you do to block the sun, but also as an involuntary reaction to the heat, which was inescapable then. Beyond the asphalt court and its hoop, a two-tone 1960 Buick is caught in motion, going north on 6th Avenue near the two-story house the only one in town, at least 
the only one where colored folks lived. It had been the home of one of the first principals to head the elementary school for Negro children, which is where these boys now sat. The two-story house, which everyone called it, was flanked on its left and back sides by small A-frame and box houses, and behind them, across the alley road of sandy, gray dirt and rock, was the Davis Homestead, my ancestral home, where my mother and seven of her siblings were born. My eyes narrow to see past the boys and all behind them to glimpse what no longer exists, but I cannot. In shadows of gray and light, I imagine I see the shed out back, the wood plank sides with corrugated aluminum roof, the rock pit immediately behind pooled deep with blue-gray water, and the edge of the back porch. I long for my grandmother, who still had both of her legs, to descend its steps and to see the stop-in-your-tracks beauty of my mother, as she called to her own mother. Baby! The house, the shed, the palms, the chickens, and all who lived there in 1962 are gone, except me. And it will be another two years before I would know myself in this world, or know this place beyond its warm embrace. My eyes shift back to the boys, their faces not frozen with picture smiles, but rather caught in the moment, in the middle of real living. They seem to be forming a thought, a word on the end of spoken, or glancing towards something else more worthy of their attention. And some look dead on into the lens with an unspoken question, all with clothes slightly askance, looking spent as if they had just had the run of the place. I am off camera, and my story cannot be seen, but their blackness and mine are foregrounded, at rest between motions. Their faces betray a multiplicity of thoughts, amusements, and diversions. For them, race is paramount, but inconsequential, at least in this moment, but this will not be true for long. They are in schoolboy haircuts, shorts, dungarees, button-downs, shirts with colored collars, and school shoes. Their knees are dusty, and their clothes have already seen the best of that day. They mamas would have scolded them had they known any picture-taking was going on. I smile in the familiarity of it all and I wonder what happened to them as much as I want to understand what has become of me. Though pulled into this moment, I do not long for the romanticisms of a segregated ethnic enclave. This is a conceit black folk can ill afford. We know whatever joy we find cannot, in myth or memory, 
be extricated from the harsh truths within which we made ourselves on American soil. But I cannot help but return to places past, to commune with those who lived out their existence there. It is for them and those boys, familiar but unknown to me, that I write at all. And it is this place that I learned that pain is as likely as love to be our life's companion. And you keep on living no matter. So, I go home to places where I've been. For the same reasons, all those people left my Aunt Fanny to be guardian of so many memories. To know, I will always be somebody's. to the end of this episode of A Colored Girl Speaks, Meditations on Race and Other Magical Things. Your time, the listen, and your engagement are most appreciated. To connect with the essayists and a broader community of listeners, please visit the website andreahunter.com or connect with us on Twitter, A Colored Girl Speaks, at I am Andrea Hunter. And subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Until we gather again, share your stories and meditations and ask for those stories not yet given.